Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. Hey everyone, welcome back to Podside Picnic, coming at you live from sunny Missoula, Montana, and by live I mean recorded. Um, We're joined by someone in what you might call an Antipodean locale. Ooh! (laughs) $20 words here. She's at the far end of the globe. Um, It's tomorrow for her, while it's still like mid-afternoon for me. That is recurring guest, writer, friend of the pod, Emma Burquist. Hi! Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming back. I think this is like your fourth time. Let's, um, let's, not, let's not overthink it. Let's not <laughs> <laughs> yeah, though, you're... you're uh, <clears throat> we should give you like an alternate ego that you can pretend to be. You could just be a different writer every time. Oh, we'll give yeah. you like a romance novelist. I names. could do voices! Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Next next one could be like um Emma, Emmeline Berger, uh who lives in um you know, uh Australia. I don't know. We'll work something oh, out. Oh yeah, I don't know if I can do that accent. I can try. I'll try. For those who don't know, uh I, I'm teasing Emma because she's an American who lives in New Zealand and now refers to Kiwis and the nation of New Zealand as us and our. Um she's naturalizing. I'm I don't blame her. <laughs> I worked very hard to get my visa. I'm staying. They can't kick me out. You know what? I, I really don't think that I'm in a position to blame you for uh, <laughs> wanting to be a Kiwi. Um, it sounds nice, honestly. Um, so, yeah. So, after almost two minutes of, of us bullshitting, we are here to discuss uh, a classic of the American genre fiction canon, that being The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson. Um, and I think a lot of people know this now from its many screen adaptations over the mm-hmm. years, and most recently a Netflix show. Uh, I have only seen one of the old movies from like the fifties. I have not seen the Netflix show, oh, so I watched the show. Oh, it was actually quite good. I, I enjoyed it a lot. Well, you can feel free to bring it in here, um, however you want. But yeah, I mean, I, I think I told folks that we were going to do this a while ago. Um, it's a short little novel, so if mm-hmm. you don't want it spoiled, go get it and read it quickly. It won't take you that long. Um, and you know, uh, I'll, I'll set up like the facts of the story here a little bit and then I'll ask Emma what it's actually about. But just, just to note briefly, it's like, you know, fifties, sixties, um, mid-century America. And there's this haunted mansion in sort of, you know, the, the hills above some every town USA. Shirley Jackson likes every town USA's that are like, mm-hmm. Uh, dark and foreboding and everybody hates you. <laughs> yep. And that's one of these. And it's like this, it's the it's the Hill House. It's this uh, old family manor brooding up there in the woods. Um, and I'll kind of, we kind of know in some ways a lot about it, in some ways not much, other than it is, you know, famously haunted. And 
this guy, Dr. Montague, um, who investigates paranormal phenomenon, wants to take this crew of people that he selected up there to spend, I guess, an indeterminate amount of time. Um, so you have like uh, this kind of like hot, flirtatious art girl named Theodora. You have Luke, who's the ne'er-do-well scion of the family that now owns this this mansion. Uh, you have Dr. Montague, of course. You have the family, the Dudleys, who take care of the place. And then you have Eleanor, who's mm-hmm. kind of the point-of-view character, even though it's a fairly omniscient third-person narration, who is, um, you know, kind of a... Uh, would have still at this point been called a spinster, um, the spinster sister in her family, uh, who recently been taking care of her mother and uh, is an odd person and wants to fit mm-hmm. in. And that might be a good segue to and of course yeah to be clear they go to this house and stuff does start happening um and he this is, this is, we should yeah. say he also selects them because they are supposed to be somewhat in touch with the paranormal so they're like when eleanor was a kid uh it rained stones on her house for like three days something like yeah. that and and theodora can guess correctly like, you know, what's on cards 19 out of 20 times, something like that. So they're supposed to be more in tune with the supernatural. Right. And then Luke is just there because he doesn't have a job and he's part right. of this rich family. Yeah. <laughs> His aunt's basically like, I need someone to watch him for a month. So. Yeah. <laughs> which is, which is, he's a funny character. Um, yeah. So we then go there and I, I will say that without spoiling too much, the plot of this novel is odd in many ways because this is Shirley Jackson. She's not going to give us like the cinematic, uh, mm-hmm plot that we want but i mean emma what what to you and feel free to get as much detail as you want like what to you is this book really about i i would say if if you look at sort of the the big themes of of the novel and the things that get brought up the most i would say a lot of it has to do with fear and because they talk about it constantly like what they're afraid of and and how the doctor especially talks a lot about fear and how sort of like logic can overcome fear. And the entire novel is sort of an attempt to prove him wrong, I think. So I, I like, like there's a yeah. part where he talks about, um, let's see, I, I made a note. It says, uh, fear, the doctor said, is the relinquishing of logic, the willing relinquishment of reasonable patterns. We yield to it or we fight it, but we cannot meet it halfway. And we kind of see all of them go through this pattern where some of them do fight it. And then we, I mean, not to spoil, should, should I spoil things? Is that okay? We see, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. We see Eleanor yield to it. And so, it, you know, it's very prescient in that way where it, where it just talks constantly about fear and like how, how you deal with fear and how it can't be sort of controlled. Yeah. And I think, I think that's, I think to say it's about fear um, and that it's, its terrors are mostly interior is very accurate. Mm-hmm. I do think the book has an interesting way of problematizing what exactly is happening because by the end we're led to believe that some of the scary things that have happened are figments of the imagination that have been amplified mm-hmm. uh, by individual fears and this collective sense of foreboding. And then it seems like certainly some things that are weird and unnerving uh, or like seemingly supernatural, straight up supernatural have occurred and i think that the book is very cagey about that because it's mm-hmm. third person with a fair amount of omniscience but it mostly sticks with eleanor and eleanor's mind is troubled to say mm-hmm. the least mm-hmm. yeah so uh, you know part of it is like what how much of this is real and 
you know, we know some of the things are real because they all experience the same thing. But then there are things that happen individually that we don't know whether or not they're real. And it's, are these manifestations that they've created themselves? Or is this the house? Yeah. Uh, and I think like, like some of the, some of it is like pretty straight up haunted house stuff, right? There's, mm-hmm. a, there's a really, truly cold spot that mm-hmm. is inexplicable um, that a lot of them experience. And the writing on the walls that happens mm-hmm. is also a collective experience, right? Yeah. So, like, writing shows up on but the walls. But it disappears. Like, yeah. it, it shows up to them, but then later it's gone. Yeah, and it's, like, it's all saying, like, Eleanor, go home, mm-hmm. you know? And, like, by the... And, and to give some background on Eleanor, yeah, so she's in early 30s, you know, the derogatory term would be spinster, <laughs> and she had been caring for her mother, whom she hated. This is, this is all very yeah. Shirley Jackson. And Shirley yeah. Jackson... You hate the every town that you live in. You hate mm-hmm. your family members, and they yep. hate you. <laughs> she, I mean, she has, yeah. This novel really hits a lot of her big themes. So, like, you have the overbearing mother, who you're a constant disappointment to, and that's just like straight from Jackson's own life. Um, so she always had, you know, just terrible mothers, and you know, she likes to write women in pairs. Um, you know, just. And sort of like the slow unraveling of the mind of a young woman. Yeah. And so, and and crucially, like, she's living as you would as a sort of, like, unemployable single woman Mm -hmm. uh, with her sister, who has, like, another overbearing dumbass husband. Her sister Mm -hmm. seems like a simpleton. Because, again, Jackson has disdain for the vast majority of people. (laughs) It just comes across (laughs) in many ways. Um, And she, like, they, like, she, I guess, paid for half of their car. They, of course, mm-hmm. don't want to take their car. So she just, like, takes the car and, you know, yeah. kind of steals it to drives to this Hill House. And and so part of the tone of this story is that Hill House has this, like, you know, very central casting, you know, uh, haunted house story about, like, family spite and suicides and, mm-hmm. you know, unfulfilled revenge and, like, the family that built it. And also the, the book takes great pains to point out it's just a fucked up place. Like, it has this mm-hmm. sense of evil about it nothing is quite right everything is just off and it's just not a place you want to be um and then the book posits the narration posits that this is just sort of like built into its very timbers even before anything bad happened there so like that's all kind of laid out but i think think what's yeah go ahead oh i was gonna say what i think is interesting is that i wouldn't necessarily call this a ghost story because we don't really see any ghosts we see like scary things that happen but this is very much a haunted house story like there is something wrong with the actual house it's not about, like, the people that died there. It's it's the house itself that's this malevolent evil. Yeah, and, and what exactly is wrong with it is, like, intriguing, but kind of remains a mystery that even the narration can't penetrate. And to, to demonstrate what I mean by that, um, I'll read from the famous opening of this book. Shirley mm-hmm. Jackson has a lot of famous openings to her stuff. <laughs> um, no live organism can continue for long to exist sanely under conditions of absolute reality. Even larks and katydids are supposed by some to dream. Hill House, not sane, stood by itself against its hills, holding darkness within. It had stood so for eighty years and might stand for eighty more. Within, walls continued upright, bricks met neatly, floors were firm, and doors were sensibly shut. Silence lay steadily against the wood and stone of Hill House, and whatever walked there walked alone so 
that is a really great famous mm-hmm. opening to a novel that breaks a lot of rules that Emma and I like. I, it's, I, I literally have two novelists <laughs> to talk about this because, like, for instance, to open your novel with an abstraction, like an mm-hmm. aphorism about like no live organism can continue to, for long to exist sanely under conditions of absolute reality, is like famous. Mm-hmm. And it works, but it's also very bold and something that I don't think either of us would do. <laughs> Probably not. And she does that like multiple times. Like a lot of the chapters start that way with this sort of like very removed kind of feeling and then then goes back into the story. Yeah. And like, you know, even though that was fairly general and like, I don't think Jackson is big on what we would call thisness or like, she's not a cult of the sentence MFA person where her goal is to like perfectly describe something, whether... Uh, analogically or not and mm-hmm. like you know really bring it to life for you like no like she's she's happy talking in general terms she's happy to say like you know the boards like the the top of the house kind of looked like this and the bushes were kind of like that and it's like you know you've seen a house and you've seen bushes before like we're moving on mm-hmm. <laughs> um i think your, that attitude pervades her writing um and so for me, I never, I, I could maybe go back and kind of map for myself what Hill House is supposed to look like. But I, I feel like I only got a pretty vaguely outlined sense. And the vagueness is part of the, the point, right? It's like she's, yeah. Yeah, well, there's the part where, uh, let me see if I can find it. The doctor talks about how, like, you should be able to see the tower from this one window, but you can't. Because, um, let's see, because uh, the guy that designed uh, Hill House himself, remember, uh, was a strange man. Every angle, every angle is slightly wrong. So everything is just slightly off. So like it gives you the sense of like disorientation, like you're on a boat, like just your equilibrium is off. And so it's like part of them is thinking, oh, is is that why people are, are seeing these manifestations? Is it something where it's like an inner ear problem because the house is so fucked up? But it's just it's built very oddly. Yeah, so I mean, again, it's not as if Jackson deprives us of information. I just think that, like, if you were writing this book now, you would have, there would be a lot of really labored, like, epiphonic sentences where, where mm-hmm. like, you'd be pulling these out and being like, ooh, I just, I really felt that I understood what the cherub statue looked like. And it's like, all right, you know, I mean, that's great. I don't particularly care about that aspect mm-hmm. of novels. Yeah. And that makes me a weird anachronism now. But I, I guess but, moving on, I think, go ahead. Because whatever you imagine is going to be scarier than the actuality. Yeah, and I'll, I mean, you're a horror writer, so I'll take it. I'll take that. At, <laughs> you at your word. You know, you know how to be scary better than me. Um, I, I do think that what's fascinating, though, is that for all of that, for all the foreboding, for all the sense that this place is fucked up and scary, and that fucked up and scary things happen, what is really crucial about this book is Eleanor is really excited to be there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, well, because this is she's been waiting her whole life for something to happen to her, which is sort of another. Um, theme that that Jackson uses a lot this idea of like you're finally ready to start your life you've been waiting forever for something to happen to you um not just to make things happen but for you know something to happen to you and so she's really excited and and when scary things start happening like she's thrilled like there there there's this weird sense of like joy that 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 they all have because it's like oh it's real it's happening we're part of something and she just wants to be part of something because she's just been alone for so long yeah there's an early part where like an extended glimpse into her interiority and it's when she's driving to hill house Mm -hmm. and she's like imagining sort of generic stock fantasy scenarios about like knights and princesses Mm -hmm. um and she she keeps the the aphorism she keeps repeating is journeys end with lovers meeting which is Mm -hmm. like a wonderfully innocent little romantic Mm -hmm. um 
you know, concept that she becomes this mantra throughout the story, heavily ironized, of course, by the story itself. Mm-hmm. But it gets to the key point here, which is that she's a dreamer. In another life, Eleanor might have been a writer. She's certainly the character in this. If there is a character in this novel that is Jackson, it's obviously Eleanor. Mm-hmm. Um, and she she wants to be there because he said she wants something to happen. She wants some drama to occur. She also like wants to be liked and wants to have friends. Mm-hmm. And like Theod- we get the sense that Theodora, the like uh, you know annoyingly attractive and witty, like sort of kind of rich art girl for whom everything is easy. Um, is, like, the first female friend she's had, seemingly. I mean, I don't think she... Yeah, she hasn't had any friends her life. She has a really rich fantasy life. Like you said, she just... she Everything she passes, she makes it into this little story inside her head. And I think, going back to the beginning, when, when, you know, the book talks about how dreaming is what keeps you sane, that is reflected in Eleanor. Like, this is how she has survived this long, having this absolutely wretched life, is by creating these little dreams for herself, these little fantasies. And that it's only when sort of faced with the reality of Hill House and the reality of life is when she starts to sort of lose her mind. And that, like, that forced reality is is what's scary and dangerous. Yeah, I think you nailed it. And that's that's an insight that I had not had but you helped me square the circle here which is that what we get from that opening is reality is itself scary mm-hmm. right yes you can't deal with reality you need to dream and, and fantasize and escape from it and it's the collision with reality that does eleanor in and of course mm-hmm. folks this is a very big spoiler um so go read the book if you don't want to hear it but the but what happens to her ultimately is like she through a series of of events um you know her her neuroses, her insecurities, you know, kind of catch up to her. And it's kind of unclear if she's a little bit deluded or maybe having a manic episode or like whatever you want to call it. But she starts to kind of flip out, um, even though others in the house have like been freaking out. Like she's the one who kind of finally loses it and she gets kicked out of the house. Right. Mm -hmm. Like the others are kind of like, well, yep. Yeah, sort of, you know, for her own safety, it's like, oh, we don't want anything to happen to you, so you have to leave. But that leaving, I mean, Hill House has been this sort of reprieve for her. It's it's part of her fantasy life. And being forced to go back to reality, to, you know, living on a cot in her, you know, sister's baby's room, faced with the reality of that, she kills herself. Because, like, that, she can't take that. Like, she chooses to stay in the dream, in the fantasy. Yeah, and I think that's you know, sort of like if this book is about like the terror of actual reality. Mm-hmm. I mean, it tells you on line one, right? Yeah. In many ways, what it's about. And as you said, yeah, she she ends by accelerating her uh, stolen car into a tree and, and dying. Mm-hmm. And um, it, the the whole and you know the, before that, like kind of her, it, it does feel very manic what she does mm-hmm. um, the night before, which is like she ascends this like spiral. It's a really interesting kind of treatment of a horror trope because like there's this locked you know mysterious tower right where mm-hmm. supposedly one of the original family the spiteful yeah, like, yeah. family H- killed themselves hung, hung herself yeah and it's locked right and there's this really rickety dangerous iron stair that goes up to it winds up to it and you're like okay we're in a horror story we're in any story you gotta go up there eventually right like right you have to make it up there and she tries to go up there and finds that it's locked and can't get in and she's like, you know, cackling madly while everyone else is below her being like, get down from there. Yeah, it's get not down. safe. Yeah. And she, yeah, she can't open because it, it's like locked. And she's like, it's locked. And they're like, yes, we know it's locked. It's locked for a reason. <laughs> get down here. 
Right, and it's like, and it's the thwarting of the whole of what the story could be if it were conventional horror, right? Which mm-hmm. is the story could be like, you go in there and you discover the scary ghost, but no, we don't. She doesn't get to do that. Yeah, and that's I think really fascinating. I mean, the, w- the way this book is structured, the way that it operates, like it's a very much a slow burn. I think initially, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of just kind of hanging out and getting to know each yeah, other. There's a lot of yeah. conversation. Um, yeah, in a short book. So, like, the pacing is weird because, like, they show up, they do a lot of hanging out, a lot of, like, pleasant... I mean, it's a pleasant vacation house initially, right? Like, they get there... Right, there, there's drink. good food, it's pretty comfortable. I mean, I would go to Hill House. I'd yeah, no, there. yeah I, I, I would too. I'd be like, oh, I would be Eleanor like, oh, this is exciting. This will be a good story. <laughs> totally, like, I get the appeal. I absolutely do. And, like, you know, as you said, they have a housekeeper... Um, so they're kind of hanging out for a while and then some, some shit happens. Like the nights are always scary. Something, there's always weird noises and that goes on for a while. Um, and Eleanor kind of descends deeper into fantasy and there's an interesting potential love triangle here because like, you know, I don't know that Eleanor is necessarily attracted to Luke at all, but like mm-hmm. he is the you know eligible man in the equation. Right. And their, their relationship is weird because it, you know, there's like maybe a little flirting, but she also doesn't particularly like him. And it's almost like, well, I'm here. I might as well do this. But it doesn't ever seem like she's actually interested. Right. It's a thing that we all do, you know, which is like, you know, if you're going to be at a beach house with a crew of people and and a few of those people are single, like, you know, you're going to figure out which person you're most attracted to. And that that person will take on like incredible height and significance just because they're the person in that context. No other reason, perhaps, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and she's doing that. And, like, not even very strongly. I, I mean, Eleanor doesn't seem to have any desire to, like, you know, have sex or... Um, right. Well, you know, one thing about Jackson is that she just, as a writer, does not seem particularly interested at all in sex. Um, just she, I just don't think she's interested in, in exploring that. Um, just from, like, no, what I've read of hers and, and from her letters. She just doesn't find that to be an interesting subject. Yeah, and, I mean, I've read two Jackson novels... Um, in neither of them does any male character come off super great. I would say mm-hmm. Dr. Montague gets close because he's just, he really is just kind of a kindly professor yeah. trying to, you know, he's fine. Um, But like, yeah, Luke is a cad. He's very annoying. I mean, he's just a spoiled, overgrown brat, basically. And that's obvious on page one. Mm-hmm. And then you have Theodora, who is like, you know, we're told like beautiful, artsy, doesn't really need to have a job. Lives that kind of like you know pre uh, you know um, pre high sixties kind of arty life and mm-hmm. probably the kind of person that Jackson I would guess knew a lot in her life ran into and probably often like both envied and hated. <laughs> yeah, well, and there's also I mean in a lot of uh, sort of you know criticism or anal- uh, analyzing of, of the book, there's a lot of people have speculated that uh, Theodora is gay because she has the person she lives with whose like gender is never specified and it talks about them fighting and how it i mean it seems like it could be a woman um yeah and she's certainly like very handsy and and kind of flirtatious with eleanor you know right and i think it you know the 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 show um the the new one on netflix went ahead and was like yeah she's gay and it actually it worked really well but i think if that is the intention here it's not so much that jackson is interested in people's sexuality but that it means that theo is not in competition with eleanor for luke which i think would 
be good because it doesn't it, like that would be sort of a petty conflict between them and the conflict between them is more just based on them being complicated people who really like each other at first and then slowly become sort of crueler to one another yeah and there's a few things in play like theodora is just impossibly witty i mean like and mm-hmm. and just flirting with everything everything comes out of her mouth is flirting right and so like mm-hmm. whether it could be you know we call it sexual there's, there's sexual flirting as we know and there's also like the kind of charm that we work uh yeah in, uh, she's just a laid. very um, charming very likable person yeah and 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 i think jackson kind of dialed that up to 10 in her character and um you know, Theodora certainly wants to be liked, and she's good at being mm-hmm. liked, right? Like, all of these people, it, they're all different, but they're all much better fitting into the world and being liked and making friends than Eleanor. And this is the first time. I, I thought what they did with Eleanor's age was interesting because it's very clearly said that she's 32. And then yeah, at one well, point, she has. Weirdly, yeah. she lies and says she's 34. Yeah, she ages which herself is so up. Odd. Which like, yeah, yeah, which is just <laughs> odd. Did? But yeah. uh, she does this in. Uh, we have always lived in the castle too, where Eleanor is a, she's a girl. She's not a woman. She's a girl. Like she's the way she thinks and the way she acts. She's very innocent. And, and the way that like Mary cat is supposed to be 18, but acts like she's 12. Yeah, totally. And I think really important to that is what you said already about like Jackson is just not interested in sexuality as such. She's definitely interested in the kind of frictions uh, Mm -hmm. that can come from the idea of romance. She's interested in like, so I think that she's interested in people wanting to have romances and not really right. pulling it off. Because like, in in um, we've always lived in the castle. The older sister is like determined to like have a man around, and it doesn't work. And she finally admits like, well, it's just going to be you and me, Mary Cat, forever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's kind of the triumphal turn in that story. Yeah. Um, but it's yeah, it's never about wanting a person. It's about the fantasy of being in a in a romance. You know, so it's like Eleanor right. dreams of, of being a princess and having a, a prince rescue her. But it's never she's never like focused on Luke being the prince. Totally. Yeah. And it's like it, what Jackson's characters do. And I think one reason I'm getting really into Jackson, and I think I'll keep coming back to her a lot after discovering her only this year. Um, it is because I, I do that with my own characters where they mm-hmm. will construct elaborate narratives about what they should be doing and what they what they mm-hmm. should be. And that is always it never matches up with what they are, and and the way that falls apart is often what's interesting about them. Um, and I think that she's kind of one of the masters of that. Uh, yeah, I mean, she, the the idea of being sort of haunted by your own past is just so fundamental to to her books and and her writing. Right, haunted by your own past, but also like I think convinced usually that you can control your own narrative and like that you can you can sort of start afresh. Which again, these are these are in a lot of novels, but like it's just mm-hmm. there's something particularly with Jackson. It also it, a lot of that operates through the way that she blends the magical and the real, such that in her major works you're often not sure exactly what happened um, because the characters are so invested in fantasy, right? Yeah. Yeah and, yeah, and, you know, th- there's just... I was going to uh, talk about um, sort of the, the journey's end and lover's meeting and how this is just sort of like this mantra that she repeats to herself without, without almost even understanding what it means. It's just a song she has stuck in her head. But she's, she's sort of imbued it with meaning to her. She talks about learning the pathways of the heart. But, but I mean, like, she hasn't. Like, what, what pathways has she learned? What, what heart is she talking about? And it's like, I, I don't really know. Like, this isn't about, this isn't a romance. 
Yeah, and and we're, we definitely don't come away from this thinking that like Eleanor knows anything about any of that, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, She's just telling herself these stories. And, yeah, and just, totally. Yeah, yeah, definitely living in a different sort of reality than what's happening. Yeah, and and she, <laughs> I I think that this story, there's so much here, and I, I think that what's interesting about it is when you get to the end, at least for me, I was like, wait, that's it? Like, I wanted. <laughs> I really wanted more, and I think I think it's meant to leave you wanting more because it's about the incompleteness of mm-hmm. Eleanor's arc. It, her arc that she wanted doesn't complete the way that she wanted. It gets abbreviated, and she completes it a different way by killing herself. Um, yeah, and one of the things I think is so sort of tragic about this is that when they're talking about fear, again going back to fear, the they talk about the things that they specifically are afraid of. And let me let me find it. Um, they each talk about, like, uh, so the doctor says that, that, uh, they fear, um, like what they don't know. Is that the quote? Let me find it. Where did I put it? I mean, that definitely makes sense. It's like a conventional model of fear, right? The thing that you can't, you have integrated. Yeah. Um, shoot, I, I swear I had it. I had it here. So they're all talking about the things that uh, scare them the most. Um, and what Eleanor says is that what she's afraid of is being alone. And, you know, at the beginning of the book and at the very end, it talks about, you know, whatever walked there walked alone. So if she is stuck in Hill House, she's there alone. And that's her greatest fear. So there, there's this kind of sort of tragic quality to that. You mean the tragedy being that like, she's going to be haunting Hill House by herself. <laughs> yeah. Because she ends up, I mean, she wanted to belong somewhere and she wanted this family and what she ends up doing is being here alone, which again was like one of her greatest fears. And it's just, it's really, it's, it's sad. It's like she went looking for this connection and she's never going to get it. Yeah. And to be clear, like she's replicating in, in some ways, the dynamic that we're told is in the past of the house, which is these two sisters who surprise hated each other. And, you know, like there were various vendettas yeah. and spites committed. And then one of them killed herself and that's all. Um, and of course we know Eleanor also hates her sister. And like, it's like, she's, mm-hmm. you know, it's as if Eleanor is like just cycling in as the new ghost. Uh, but you know, again, like Jackson is not, Jackson is very directly not interested in being like, oh, Eleanor will get to be in this community of ghosts. It's like, nope, mm-hmm. walking alone. Like, no, you are alone. she's alone. Yeah. It, you know, and there's this idea of sort of, you know, found family where they, all of them come from like, you know, Luke talks about how he never had a mother and the doctor is constantly referring to them as his children. You're like, oh, you're just like children. Um, and so, you know, for the first time she has this little found family and, she, you know, she's, she tells Theodora, like, oh, I'm going to go home with you. And Theodora is like, no, you're not. Like, I, we're friends and we'll write to each other, but you can't come home with me. And, and so, it's, you know, she, the idea of this family being found and then being sent away, is, it's just too much for her to handle. Yeah, it's a very, uh, this is depressing to me because the more we talk about this book, the sadder <laughs> it seems. Um, well, I it's mean, it is, a lot, it's yeah. sad, yeah. It's, it's, it's not, a it's lot not, sadder 
It's a lot sadder than uh, we have always lived in the castle, which is kind of a, like they yeah. win in that story. Yeah, it's like oh yeah, it's like because they're well because they're happy. It's like it, you know it's a very bizarre life, but they're happy because they have each other, and that's that's what they want. They just want to live in their weird decaying castle and and eat bread. I don't know, but yeah, this is this is not a happy ending. This is sort of you know something very abrupt and. You know, even, you know, Eleanor's last thought is like, why isn't anyone stopping me? And it's like, is, has she been possessed? Was this, did she choose to do this? Or was this the house driving her to do this? And was that the last sort of thought that she had that was her own? Yeah, totally. I mean, again, the the sort of the causality and the role the house might be playing Mm -hmm. and a bunch of other things are... That question here, and I, I love what I perhaps love most about Jackson is her ability to withhold answers and get away with it. Because it's very hard, mm-hmm. actually, in fiction. Like, so much of fiction, especially in the novel form, is about revelation and giving readers what they want. And Jackson holds back so much of what we want, and she's still so good. And I, I don't know how it works. I will probably never know how it works. <laughs> yeah, I think that's why the, the 1999 movie version was so terrible is because it tried to give sort of like all these reasons for the house being haunted it was like oh well this guy killed a bunch of children and they're trapped in the walls and it's like well that's not what happened at all like we don't know what happened in this house we know there's been tragedy there but there's no sense that anyone was like murdering people you know it was like a suicide or someone died in a car crash on the way to the house that kind of thing yeah but also the house itself was always violent right exactly yeah, no, I mean, the whole, like, murdering children. That's just, that's incredibly corny. That is not the way that, that... Right, right. Like, Jackson would never write that. Come on. No, never, ever. I feel confident saying that. <laughs> I do want to critique her a little bit here, and, and it's not necessarily a negative critique, but I think it's very interesting how very far into this book, like, the third act has, if we divide it into three acts, it's pretty much already started. And then who comes bumbling in but uh, Dr. Montague's wife... Right. And she comes stumbling in. She's like a medium. She She's like a no-nonsense medium, basically. Like, she believes in ghosts and spirits and, like, doesn't... Like, she thinks that her husband is frivolous in what he's doing, but also, right. like, like, she's going to talk to yeah. the ghosts. Like, she brings her uh, Tenchet and then the weird <laughs> Arthur, this, this random headmaster. Just right, like she brings this guy with her and he's just sports. like... Yeah. He's a dickheaded headmaster of a boys' school. And everything out of his mouth is arrogant and irritating and condescending and you know like he immediately shows up and calls luke a coward because luke showed fear mm-hmm. in front of the women and like he starts talking about you know how he beats the the, the cowardice out of boys at his school like he's yeah. just a shithead yeah. um and it's like why is arthur in this like i actually don't yeah. get why arthur's in the story it, and and yeah. the wife is a it stretch was, too it was a very um it's very abrupt and it's this weird sort of because she's a, they're a very sort of comic pair and the tone is just so different from what we've had before it's you know there's this sort of strange duo that comes in kind of with this like slapstick energy um interrupting and and i wonder i think maybe it's they're there to disrupt the fantasy that they've all created in this place and to disrupt their little creative family with sort of reality pushing in. Um, and I, I think their arrival does sort of... Ch- it, it, you know, jumpstarts the, the beginning of the end for everything that has been happening so far. And it, 
like maybe without them, it would just continue in this sort of fantasy of not knowing what day it was, not knowing what was real and what was not. Because they're they're in what do they say? They're on a desert island, and they they don't remember the real world, and they don't know how long they've been there. Yeah, I mean, forget no smartphones, but like no newspapers even. They're just they're just there, which is like yeah. an amazing thing to imagine being able to do. Right? <laughs> Don't and, we all I wish mean, you we know, could do that? Yeah, they say like, oh, I, f- I forgot the real world exists, and so then here comes the real world knocking on the door and disrupting everything. Yeah, it's kind of our first indication that we're not going to get any of the kind of catharsis or completed arcs we might want. Mm-hmm. Um, that the characters won't get what they want, and it, yeah, like that that they have to sort of not only feel their fear, but be made to feel bad about feeling their fear. Cause I'm going to blunder in and be like, Oh, nonsense. You're mm-hmm. all just hysterical. Yeah. <laughs> Arthur, come along, darling. You know, like, <laughs> just that, that whole attitude um, is just so, yeah, it's a really interesting choice. And I think like, if this is a story about reality, like reality itself being the thing that you fear in reality itself, puncturing fantasies, then yeah, it makes perfect sense and the more i think mm-hmm. about this book the more masterful it seems because the more layered it is right it's so mm-hmm. it seems so simple on the surface but actually what she's doing is very complicated right and it just there's so much of it when you when you you know and this was i hadn't read it in a while and and coming back to it you, just all the things that you notice that knowing how it ends and what's going to happen you know reading the beginning and seeing these little hints um like the the cup of stars just at the very beginning, the strange little aside where she sees this little girl pouting at a restaurant because she doesn't have her cup of stars. And uh, what did she say? She says, don't do it. Insist on your cup of stars. Once they have trapped you into being like everyone else, you will never see your cup of stars again. Don't do it. And the little girl glanced at her and smiled and shook her head stubbornly at the glass. Brave girl, Eleanor thought. Wise, brave girl. And it sort of becomes this thing that she she makes up that she has at home, like her own cup of stars, and just the, the way that Jackson puts these little um, repetitive notes throughout it that become these like major themes, it's just so clever and detailed. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's uh, right. She drops these seemingly innocuous things and in that they're so crucial. And just like, I don't know how, just speaking as a novelist, I don't know how you get this to work with the pacing in particular because so mm. much of it is like, so drawn out early on and then it just accelerates and it's almost it's almost as if like you that's mirrored in the whole like at the end when she drives her car into the tree it's like the you know the, there's this sort of drawn out build up and then bam you know mm-hmm. um i don't i don't know i mean as a novelist i find this book intimidating in a, in a way <laughs> well i mean she's a she's an amazing writer and so much of this book is like even though it's told in third person so much of it is internal and takes place inside eleanor's head and we see sort of the difference between what she's thinking and how she's acting and and how she sort of sours on on Theodora and sort of these little conflicts that that become these these wounds that they're inflicting on each other it's just I, I don't know it's it's very yeah you're right it's just really intimidating well, there you go. You're, you're looking at two admiring, <laughs> resentful writers reading this book. Uh, it's probably some of the highest praise you can give a novel. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to read the rest of Jackson, having read her two most famous novels this year. Um, I think she's someone I'll be sticking with for a very, 
very long time. It's funny that my favorite American novelists seemingly have turned out to be horror writers, her and Lovecraft, but... uh, (laughs) Well, it's a good genre. What can I say? Yeah. I I hear horror is hot these days, too. I hear that that we're we're actually elevating horror. (laughs) That's right. It's picking up steam. And, you know, I I just read um, Mexican Gothic, and you can just so clearly see the influence that Jackson had on the genre. Uh, it it just she just casts a really long shadow. She does absolutely. Um, yeah, I think she's someone that I want to keep unpacking in my life and on the show, just because she is so beguiling. And also that um, that biopic of her that came out recently, Shirley, is definitely worth seeing. You know? Yeah, I love Elizabeth Moss. I need to check that out. You haven't seen it yet? Everybody wants me to watch stuff. I'm sorry. There's just like too much stuff. <laughs> I don't. I just you know I'm I'm self soothing with Poro right now. Okay, can can I live? Can I just live? Maybe uh, maybe Emma and you should stop, stop watching trashy TV and watch some damn movies. How about that? <laughs> Poro's not trashy. You're trashy. <laughs> Ooh. Well, now that I've sufficiently provoked Emma. Um, I wanna. I think this is probably a good place to start winding it down. I mean, unless you, you have more points you want to make about this book. Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, I have other. I'm, I'm no, not, nothing really. Like, um, so the journeys in and lovers meeting is from Twelfth Night, and I was just interested in that, just wondering why specifically she chose that. But I'm wondering if it has something to do with identity. But other than that, I think I think we covered all the all the good points. Yeah, Twelfth Night, one of my favorite Shakespeare plays, mm-hmm. uh, one of his most upbeat plays, ironically. For yeah, this story. which is why, right? It's, it's just I, it seemed like a, a, a weird choice to me, and I was sort of like trying to, to figure it out. But, but yeah, yeah, I think, yeah identity, or maybe the fact that it's like it's it's the, the a clown who's who's singing that, and and she doesn't sort of she doesn't really remember the context, only that she's heard it sung, and it's just this sort of strange, weird, happy refrain that's so at odds with the rest of the book. Yeah, well, I think in Twelfth Night, if I, I'm, it's been a while since I've read it, I admit, but like the characters have a lot of agency and ability to sort of spin reality into what they want it to be, mm-hmm. and uh, that would describe the aspirations of a Shirley Jackson character. Right, um, right. Yeah, uh, so I, before, I think we should wind this down, but I before we do that, speaking of horror writing, uh, Emma... <laughs> Tell us about your work. Tell us where we, uh, which of your that we should go out and buy your books right now, right? Um, yes, if you would like, I have I have two out right now. Um, my debut is Devils Unto Dust, and it is a zombie western. Um, and then my more recent one is Missing Presumed Dead, and that one is sort of a, a neo noir ghost story. Uh, supernatural romance, I believe, is the phrase. <laughs> Yeah, sure, you can call it that if you'd like. <laughs> I know you don't call it that, so I, I need you a little bit. Uh, I, am I am I gonna like uh, blow up your spot if I say that uh, you're also on sub like I am right now? No, we can commiserate. It's you know, it is what it is. Yeah, we've been providing emotional support for one another, folks. We've both got manuscripts on submission at the moment. Um, which is always a harrowing process for writers. So it's it's cool. It's like. Well, I mean, I obsessively check my email anyway, but it's just gotten, it's gotten pretty, oh, was that me? It's gotten pretty, um, pretty bad. You know what's worst of all is that uh, you spend all this time writing a novel and then being on sub or querying when you don't have an agent. That's when reality 
<laughs> comes hey. in. It's like Shirley Jackson, right? right? That's the intrusion Wait, of so reality. You said that I reminded you of Eleanor. I don't really like where this is headed. No, 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 no. I said it. I just sort of pictured Eleanor looking kind of like you. I think it's partly also because I pictured her looking like um, Elizabeth Moss in the movie, who is like ginger and like writerly, <laughs> like you. you know? You're just saying that because she has glasses. Well, I, and ginger you know, in the movie, you know, like. <laughs> I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So check out Emma's books. Um, hopefully we'll see more from Emma. Uh, but check out the ones she has out. They're definitely worth your time and, and buy them and support her and help her uh, live her little dreamy fantasy life down there in New Zealand. Um, That's right. And yeah, I, w- I just want to thank, I tease Emma a lot. I, I, I do. I have to make fun of her. But I really want to thank her for coming back on the show. You're one of our oh, very of favorite recurring guests. Thank you. I, I very much enjoy talking about books. All right, folks. Well... Thank you for joining us. Signing out.